Well, good morning. And what a difference 20 degrees makes, right? It's like negative 17, which is still miserable, but there's so many of you here today. So it's great. I got to host online last week, so I have been rubbing it in Chase's face all week long that my audience was bigger than his while he preached. It was great. So uh, we love to give each other a little bit of a hard time. So, uh, But I am thankful for technology that allows us, even when it's negative 37, and some of you make the wise choice to stay at home with a warm beverage on your couch, that you can still hear God's word. So if you're joining us, online today. Thank you for being here in the room. Thanks for being here. And if it's your first time, we are ecstatic that you're here and you're walking into week three of a series called Scandalous, where we are looking at the scandal of God's grace. Now, parents, I wish I could tell you that you could go home today and you're not going to have a weird word to define for your children. So we've done great with our Bible stories so far and different things as creating awkward dinner conversations. And this week might be a little bit the same, but a little tamer than last week if you were here. If not, go back and listen to Chase's message. But as we've walked through this series, in week one we saw that creation was God's first act of grace. And in that we realized, I had a pastor friend say to me this week, so was grace more original than sin? And the answer to that is yes. Grace existed even before sin ever entered because grace is part of God's character. And then last week, Chase did a great job walking us through the fact that God desires us even when we're undesirable. And he walked us through three stories that showed us that God's grace pursues us as he chased after Moses when he fled Egypt after killing the Egyptian guard. God's Grace sustains us as he made a covenant with Abraham and then said, I'm going to uphold both halves of this covenant. Whether you do or not, Israel, I will stay with you. And then grace redeems us. And we looked at the story of Judah and Tamar in Genesis 38. And I'll let you go home and read that for yourself. But if you weren't here and you just go home and read that, understand that story is going to make you uncomfortable. And so this morning as we continue, I want to build off of Chase's idea that grace is pursuing us. And so what I want you to walk out of here with today is this statement. God is faithful when we are faithless. God is faithful when we are faithless. Let me ask you a couple questions to maybe try and illustrate what I mean. Have any of us ever, I won't ask you to raise hands, I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable, anybody ever disobeyed God? You know, lied to your parents, that's a big one, it's in the, t- it's in the 10, just so you know. Uh, wanted, thought your neighbor's car was better than your car, also in the 10. Uh, went to the buffet line, one trip too many, because you knew you were full, but that food was so good, you just wanted one more plate. Uh, so, full confession, uh, I don't eat at buffets for this reason, but potlucks are like the church buffet, right? So it's like, I didn't go to the buffet, but I had a potluck and everybody brought their best dish. And so we had an opportunity, once a year we celebrate with the leadership team and the admin team and the staff, just a thank you time. And so we had them over to our house last week and hosted them and it was great and everybody brought their best food and I definitely went back at least one, if not maybe two more times than I needed to. And so, uh, just confession moment, I'm with you, I disobey God too. Maybe on a more serious note, 
Have you ever been in the midst of a struggle or a trial and simply given up on God? You didn't tell anybody, but you stopped praying. You stopped reading your Bible. Maybe you got real close to stopping believing because God wasn't showing up and doing anything. But So you just kind of said, you know, God, I've asked. And I'm not getting an answer. So I think I'm just going to do this one alone. If any of those things describe you, whether today or at any period of your life, I want you to rest in this fact. God is still faithful when we are faithless. And in order to help you see that, I want to invite you to open up your Bible or your phone to Genesis chapter 2. And my goal today is to walk through a couple of Old Testament stories that, and pull out a couple of key facts that I think help us understand and embrace and fully comprehend this truth that God is faithful even when we are faithless. And so the first is, from since the beginning of time, God has desired to dwell with us. Fact number one, since the beginning of time, God has desired to dwell with us. I think we tell ourselves stories all the time, or maybe we've been told by other people that God doesn't want to be with us. That because of sin, because of things we do, because of things we've done, God doesn't want to be with us in general. Or maybe you've had someone say, hey, you know what? Because you did that thing, God doesn't want to be with you. And I want you to understand that the truth of Scripture teaches us something completely different from that. Listen to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden to the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. Skipping down to verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. I want you to imagine this scene. God has formed this beautiful garden. And the whole reason that he's formed this garden is so Adam has a place to live, a place to call home. And Genesis 3 tells us that God walked with Adam in that garden. Can you imagine what that would be like? To live in this place of perfection, of peace. And then God comes and meets with you. For those of us who don't like to read, this means we don't have to read the Bible every day. We can just welcome God to come in as we have our morning coffee and talk with him. And he can retell us the story of creation. He can tell us his plans for our life. We can ask him questions. Like really deep, meaningful questions. Like, why do I have a belly button if you're Adam? Why do I have a belly button? doesn't make any sense. I didn't need it, right? But you put it there. We can have perfect communion with God. Why? Because the God of the universe wants to dwell with us. Wants to be in our presence. Wants to be among us. And it didn't stop in the garden. Maybe you are familiar with the story of the Israelites leaving Egypt. Moses leads them out. They walk across the Red Sea. 
And God stops them at a mountain called Sinai. Now, before we get too far in the story, I have a little audience participation part of the show for you. So this is for all of my Bible trivia nerds, all right? And I, I checked with my son before I used the word nerd. And if I use it in a respectful way that respects your investment and knowledge in a certain topic, then it's okay to call you a nerd. So, all right. So if you're a Bible trivia, self-described Bible trivia nerd, here's my question for you. How were the Ten Commandments given the first time they were given? And who were they given to? So turn, talk to your, talk to your neighbor. How were they given? So what was the mode that they were given to? And who were they given to? Be specific. You can type, if you're online and you're bold enough to take the risk and just put your answer out there in front of everybody, you can answer. Uh, we'll have multiple choice answers in just a minute, but I'll let you think and talk. So how were they given and who were they given to? All right, there's some conversation going. All right, here's how we're going to prove the, here's how we're going to show the answer. By raise of hands, I'm going to give you three choices. You can vote one time, all right? No second, no voting all three and being like, I got it right. See, I'm the smartest, right? You get one vote. All right, were the Ten Commandments written down on stone tablets and given to, the, given to Moses to take to the Israelites. Who thinks that's the way they were given? Moses wrote them on stone tablets, gave them to the Israelites. All right, we got a few hands up there. All right. Second, were they carved in the side of the Egyptian pyramids? Anybody think God just carved them in the Egyptian pyramids so everybody could see them? Okay, no. All right, good. You have a basic understanding of the Bible. That's good. We got, the, got that one out. They were audibly spoken to the entire Israelite community. Anybody think that? Audibly spoken to the entire Israelite community. All right, so some of you just didn't vote. That's okay. So you're like, I'm not sticking my hand up and being wrong. There's no way. All right, so here's what I want you to see. God has led the Israelites out of Egypt. We're going straight to Exodus 19 if you want to follow along. We're looking at 19.7. You'll see the answer in just a minute. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, God spoke and, Mo and Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. Okay, let's pause right there for just a minute. Set this scene. You are the Israelites. You have left Egypt. You're in the middle of a desert. There's a giant mountain in front of you. And all of a sudden, that mountain is on fire. And there's smoke everywhere. Why? Because God has come down to dwell on that mountain. There's like an earthquake going on around you because the ground is trembling. And there's a giant trumpet that somebody is playing somewhere and you can't find it to get it to stop. This is a terrifying scene. We would all be scared to stand at the base of a mountain that is burning while an earthquake happens and a trumpet sounds, right? We'd be like, what is going on? And then God says, hey, Moses, I want you to come up on the mountain. And so Moses walks up the mountain. Moses, 80, 90 years old at this point, walks up the mountain. And then God says, hey, listen, I want you to go back down the mountain. 
And I want you to tell the Israelites not to come up the mountain. I'd be like, no problem, God, not coming anywhere close to that mountain. Why does this matter? I want you to see, God came down. We didn't go up. The Israelites don't go up the mountain. God comes down out of heaven to dwell with his people. And listen to what he says in Exodus 19, 25, and then in chapter 20, verse 1, and this is the answer to our trivia question. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. And God gave the people all these instructions. God audibly speaks the Ten Commandments to the entire community of Israel the first time they're given. This is not just trivia. This is God saying, listen, I want to be with you. I want you to be my my people. I want to be your God. I'm establishing this covenant with you. I'm telling you these 10 things so you know how to live in relationship with me. I've come down from heaven. I want to be with you. Exodus 19, four through six says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, God speaking. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among the people of the earth for all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. God says, I want to be with you. These 10 commandments are how we're going to live together. But that's not enough because God calls Moses back up the mountain in Exodus chapter 24. And Moses goes back up. And what God does for the next seven chapters of scripture is gives Moses the blueprint of how they're going to build the tabernacle. Tabernacle is a fancy word for tent. They're going to build a tent where God is going to do what? Come and meet with or dwell with the Israelites. It's the place that God wants to be in relationship with them. God says in Exodus 25, 8, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. God wants to live among us. And the amazing thing about the tabernacle, and we miss this because we miss some of the imagery and some of the things that are there that the Hebrew people would have picked up on, the tabernacle is meant to mirror Eden. God is saying to the Israelites, I don't just want to dwell with you. I want to dwell with you like I dwelt with Adam in the Garden of Eden. And I want to be with you. I want you to be my people. I don't want you to miss this. I know I've said it a lot and I'm going to say it one more time. God so badly wanted the Israelites to be in relationship with them. He took the initiative to create them, to form a covenant with them, to speak out of heaven and to speak to them, and then to build a place, a tent, in the middle of the desert where they could come into his presence. Fact two for the morning speaks to our ability to experience this, and that is this. Humans have perpetually done their own thing. God says, I want to dwell with you. Since the beginning of time, I've wanted to be with you. And we keep saying, thanks God, but eh. One tree, perfect garden, one tree, don't eat of that tree and you can live here forever. If you know anything about scripture, they ate of the tree. 
It's what we call the fall. And it's when everything in all of creation broke and Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. And yet God says, no, 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 that's okay. I'll build a tent and I'll come and dwell with you and we can be together. And I want to go back to our story in Exodus because Moses has been up on the mountain, right? Getting the instructions for how to build that tent. He's been there for 40 days. And when he comes down, this is what he sees in Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out brought us here from the land of Eden. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and daughters and bring them to me. And all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold and melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When all the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow we will, have a fest- will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And as they celebrated with the feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Seriously? What makes it important that God spoke the Ten Commandments to all of Israel is they all heard you shall have no other gods before me and you should make no graven image. They all heard God speak that. If we think about the covenant that God made with the Israelites as a marriage, which is maybe the most best image we have to understand this, is this is, this is a covenant where two people have come together and say, if you're not faithful, I will still be faithful. And this covenant marriage that God walks into with us. Spre- Preston Sprinkle says this, the Israelites just committed adultery on their wedding night. I want to be with you. I want to have a tent where we dwell together. They heard the words spoken. They heard the commands given. 40 days, less than a month and a half. Tired of waiting. Let's make other gods. Aaron, the priest, the guy who's supposed to lead them in worship of God is like, you're right, we should. Great idea. Bring me your gold. We'll melt it down. I'll make a calf. We'll worship it. Oh, but, oh, but, we'll put an altar to the one true God in front of the calf. And then we wonder why Moses is angry when he comes down. Aaron heard him say, no other gods before me. Exodus 20, 30, 30, or Exodus 20 verse 3, you must have no other god but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any image or anything in the heavens or the earth or in the sea. Moses comes down, he sees what's happening. He is Ticked off, right? He throws the, the commandments that God wrote for him on the mountain, shatters them, and then finds Aaron. He's like, how did this happen? And Aaron's like, oh no. They brought me some gold. I threw it in the fire. Out popped a calf. I don't know what to do. Hey, Aaron, 
Want to try again? That's commandment number nine. You've broke three of them now. Want to go for number four? Straight up lying. As he leads the Israelites to commit adultery on their wedding night. The hard truth for us to swallow is this behavior continues all throughout the Old Testament. And honestly, if we look inside our lives, we do some of the same things. I want us to look at one last story before we move on to fact three. Because I think this story paints it in such clear ways for us. Maybe you know the story of Hosea, maybe you don't. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of those guys were often called to live their lives as object lessons for the Israelites. If there's any job you want in the Old Testament, you don't want to be a prophet, right? Most of them had a painful existence. Hosea's job. God says, Hosea, you're going to be my prophet, and I want you to go and marry a prostitute. I want you to go find this, a prostitute and marry her, because Hosea, your life, you're going to represent me in this uh, object lesson for the Israelites. And the wife he takes, her name is Gomer. She's going to represent, represent the Israelites' unfaithfulness and idol worship to God all the way through. And so Hosea goes, he finds Gomer, he marries her. They have kids. Kids get in on the object lessons. They have some great names if you're not familiar with the story. They're a little hard to read. I'm just going to be honest with you. But the first one's Jezreel. It's a nice soft landing. That's because I will punish King Jehu for what he did in the valley and end his kingdom. So God's going to punish Israel for what this king has done. Okay, that's all right. But name your kid that so, we, so Israel remembers. His first daughter, how many of you ever picked this name? Not loved. Your daughter's name is going to be not loved. For I will no longer show love or forgive Israel. God is angry at Israel at this point. Son too, uh, not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. Okay, we're uncomfortable now, right? Like, uh, God, what, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And before Hosea chapter 1 ends, Gomer has left Hosea. And she's gone back to her life of prostitution. And God says, this is exactly what Israel has done. They rebel against me. They worship other gods. They turn their back on me. Which brings us to our third fact this morning. God remains faithful to his covenant no matter the cost. Imagine the pain Hosea feels as a husband to know that you've taken your wife in, you've loved her, you've done the best you can. There's no wrong written in scripture that Hosea has done to Gomer. She just chooses to walk out to go back to her past life. But God will remain faithful no matter the cost. And Hosea chapter 3 says this, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I, brought, I bought her back with 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Then he said to her, You must live in my house for many days, and stop your prostitution. This is a story of a husband who loves his wife 
unconditionally. Who only wants the best for her. Can you imagine? Hosea sits every day at the window wondering, is Gomer coming back? In some ways, it reminds us of the loving father in the story of the prodigal son waiting for the rebellious child to come back. But in this story, the child never comes back. But Hosea, the God character, goes searching for Gomer. Where is she? I'll pay any cost to get her back. I'll do whatever it takes to welcome her back. can imagine him walking through the town trying to figure out where she is. Has anybody seen her? Does anybody know? There's rumors. I, I saw her the other night. All of a sudden he walks inside of a tent. And what he walks into is the scene of a slave auction. He looks on the stage to see who's there and imagine seeing the woman you love. She doesn't look like she did when she left your house. She spent night after night on the street, used and discarded by man after man. Maybe in today's day and age, she would have used the money she made to buy drugs or alcohol to numb the pain, to end the suffering. Hosea is there, though. The value he pays for her just seems like a number to us, but historians tell us that's half the worth of a slave of that day. So Gomer's been on the, sla- on the stage for a while and nobody's bidding. Finally, somebody says, I'll pay half. No counter bids, sold. Gomer walks off the stage into the back room. Hosea goes back to pay for his bride and You can just imagine what's going on in Gomer's head. What's my life going to be like now? What's going to happen? Is this going to get better or worse? She looks up and she realizes that the man who's paying for her is Hosea, her husband. Tears stream down his face. As he stands with arms spread wide, ready to welcome her home again. To live in her, his house. She'll once again be loved by a man who never broke his promise. And God tells us he renames her kids. God will always remain faithful to his promise and he'll pay no matter the cost. Yes, he's angry in Hosea chapter 1 because of Israel's rebellion, but I want you to listen to his words in Hosea chapter 11. For my people 
determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. How can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma and demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you and I will not come to destroy for someday the people will follow me. God wants nothing more than to dwell with his people for us to be faithful like he is faithful. He instructed the Israelites to build a tabernacle. And he met them there despite their affair on their wedding night. It doesn't matter how many times Israel is unfaithful to God. God will always be faithful to Israel. Gomer went and paid the price to buy back, or Hosea went and paid the price to buy back Gomer. But God ultimately paid the ultimate price. Because after watching chapter after chapter after chapter of the Old Testament and us continue to not be faithful, God sent his son to do what he promised in the first place. I'll fulfill both halves of the covenant. And so he sent Jesus to live as a perfect human being, to do what we couldn't do, and die and pay the price we couldn't pay. Because there's no cost God won't pay to be in relationship with us. That's grace. That's what's so scandalous about it. The Creator, perfect in every way, died for our mistakes. A humiliating death. So God could be with us for eternity. God is faithful when we are faithless. God's grace is scandalous because it caused him to love someone like me who sometimes yells at my kids when they don't deserve it, who loves to eat too much, and who doesn't always love my neighbor like I've been loved because if I'm honest, I'm just selfish. And the scandal of God's grace is he loves someone like you who isn't faithful, who messes up. And God stands with arms wide open and says, welcome home. The deepest scandal is that Jesus did everything and he did it for everyone knowing that some of us would totally reject him and want nothing to do with him. Yet he went to the cross to show God's faithfulness and allow everyone to experience grace. If you're here today, whether in the room or online, and you haven't experienced God's grace, please don't leave here today without talking to somebody. There are people online who would love to talk with you in a private room so that you can experience the grace that God has. Because no matter how you feel, no matter what you think you've done, 
No matter whether you've been told that God has grace for you or not in the past, the truth of Scripture is that God is faithful when we are faithless. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, it's hard to look at these stories and see what the Israelites did and how they treated you, and yet, God, it's hard to look at those because then we have to look at ourselves and we have to see how we've treated you. We have to see how we haven't been very gracious. We have to see how we've turned our back and done our own thing and rejected you. God, all we can do is cry thank you because you never gave up on us. When everyone else would have, you didn't. You decided, instead of giving up, to send your son. God, thank you. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and most of all, your scandalous grace that is way more than we deserve. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you need somebody to talk to today at the end of service, we would love to pray with you. If there's something in your life that you just need some prayer, some help dealing with, something you want to celebrate, you want to talk to somebody because you've never experienced God's grace, there'll be prayer workers on the side of the room and they would love to talk to you. In just a moment, we're gonna come forward and celebrate communion. Communion is simply the last meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples where he took the bread and broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. And he took the cup after the meal. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins for all who will believe. Each time you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. As you come today, every one of us who believes that Jesus is who he says he is, is welcome to come. But as you come, I want you to remember the scandal of God's grace for you and for me. That Jesus laid down his life so God could dwell with us and in us. The other way we respond to God's word is through acts of generosity and gratitude. And so if you came prepared to do that today and to do it cheerfully because of what God has done for you, we ask that you would, there's three ways for you to give on the screen. You do that as God's leading you. Most importantly, I want you to take your time to respond. If you need a minute before you come take communion, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need a minute before you stand and sing, you respond how God is working on your heart today. May God's grace always take our breath away.